We all have funny, quirky, sometimes weird, sometimes empowering thoughts and beliefs about money, how much it defines us, how we use it, how we get it, and what it's for in this life. Today, Neil and I are going to unpack our beliefs about money and what we're still working on and our tools for success and happiness and having enough money for everything we need in this life. can't remember if we've talked about this before on the podcast, but you and I have definitely talked about it. How are, what are your feelings about a mini bar, Neil? A mini bar? Yeah, like in a hotel. Um, what do you think I when you see? I wouldn't use such a thing. What do you think of when you see like you the mini the, bar? You're talking about like the candy though. Yeah, or like, like the, the or drinks soda, that are candy, non-alcoholic whatever. stuff. Like yeah. I hear bar and I'm like, oh, like alcohol. Not yeah, the alcohol. I, don't, I would never use that. Not the alcohol. You see like some nuts and some gummy bears and soda in a mini bar what do you think of I think really 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 expensive like yeah kind of like a don't don't i was always like don't even touch those don't right. crinkle it right don't make it look like you used it in any way shape or form right well that's how i grew up too it was like don't touch the mini bar like it's a million dollar porcelain doll or something but and I get that. I we do the same thing with our kids. It's like do not touch that. But what's funny is that even as a 39-year-old adult, I'm still kind of afraid of the mini bar. <laughs> I see it and I think like, oh, I can't Happy birthday, by the way. Oh, it's thanks. Karen's birthday this month. Yes, birthday month. And anyway, I was I've traveled a lot the last few weeks and I was in Dallas for a conference and I was starving. And I looked over at the mini bar and I there were like an array of snacks and I thought, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. And then I thought, like, what am I doing? It's, yeah, it's a $6 bag of trail mix, but, and that's crazy overpriced, but also how much time and effort is it going to take me to leave the hotel and go find something and come back? And is it worth the $6 to just eat the trail mix? So it's just funny how a lot of us, I think, have mindsets and mentalities around money. So I thought we could talk about that today. And going back to that little like mini bar trail mix thing, what's funny about that is I wouldn't even think twice if something was $6 more in the grand scheme of things. You know, like if I was looking at, oh, I could go to this sushi restaurant or this one and there's a $6 difference. Like you don't even bat an eye at that. But it's like, oh my gosh, spending $6 on trail mix sounds so crazy. So I think that sometimes we get in our heads things that are not actually true or accurate or really of that much importance, especially if you look at the grand scheme of things, if you zoom out. But in the moment, it can feel so convoluted. So like, oh my goodness, this just seems crazy. Or a lot of it is in your head, am I getting ripped off? Is this fair to me? And of course, those things are important to think about, but I think what I want to focus more on is how much my mindset has changed about money throughout adulthood and even just this year. So my gift to Jesus this year was I want to get to know him better. So I really wanted to do an intense deep dive study of the New Testament and specifically the Gospels. So this theme started popping up and showing up continuously as I studied the Gospels, which was take no thought. And the first time I read it, it kind of 
attention to, but was so interesting because that was what Jesus instructed his disciples to do when they first, he gave them all the authority to act in his name. And then he said, okay, everybody break up and go to these different places and go two by two and go teach what I've been teaching you and go perform miracles. And then he was like, take no thought of what you'll eat or drink, you know, what you're going to wear. Don't take extra food. Don't take extra money. Don't take extra clothes. You know, I'll provide all of that for you. And they're all kind of just like, wait, what? We can't even take a change of clothes. And he's like, no, just go. You know, you'll, God will provide for you what you need. And thinking about the kind of faith they must have had to say, okay, like I'll just go into some foreign land where I know no one. I have no idea what kind of provisions will be there. And I'll just trust that God's going to provide. And I tried to think about that a lot in our life and in our situation and how much are we heavily relying on God? How much are we willing to rely on him versus how much does fear hold us back? And that scarcity of like, what if there's not enough? What if I didn't plan well enough? What if I, and I'm not saying planning is bad, I actually really believe in that, but just the fear of not having enough, I think can cripple us sometimes. Absolutely. I think that I, this is admittedly for me, this is, I'm still working through so many different understanding beliefs that I grew up with as a kid that I still hold on to or ways in which I view the world in as far as like money or wealth goes. For me, like from the addictive standpoint or the addiction standpoint, a lot of the things that are beneath the addiction, like the underlying drivers or what we'd call causes and conditions of an addiction, like why are you an addict in the first place? They have to do with sometimes like monetary things, money or how that ties to validation. Like worth either making a lot of money, therefore I am valid or other people see me as valid or having material possessions that makes me look valid. It's like so much of addiction comes from like external validation, really. But underneath another layer of that, if you're really digging underneath that, it's like, well, why is there a need for external validation? And why do you feel like there needs to be like a supplement or to reach out for something different? Usually there's a deeper issue there. Sometimes not, but I mean, I guess in my case, yeah, there are a lot, of, a lot of different things that I've had to work through in that area with my own like entitlement, my own faulty core beliefs, and a lot of it. One one kind of aspect of it is my relationship with money mm-hmm. and how I view that, and how I was raised, and circumstances that I was raised in, and then what I saw around me, and how I related to that or didn't relate to that. And then how that has changed over the years till now. So it's kind of understanding that and digging into it. So I'm still in this process. I'm by no means like an expert in the area. Well, it's interesting what you're saying about your struggle with money and your mentality around money, because I definitely see that in you and how it's so different than the way that I struggle with money, because I think that with you, it leads back to what we've talked about before with the pursuit of being cool perception of others and 
external kind of, validation. Yeah, external validation from others. Yeah. But I even remember when we first got married, and you were like, "Well, I want a house in this place because this is." It it was kind of more about the perception of the area than even the actual house itself, which surprised me because for me, I was like, well, "I just want a house that's going to function well." for a young family. So we would kind of go back and forth with that. And it was interesting that for you, that was like a really important thing, the location of the house. And I'm sure some of that had to do with Dave was your brother in real estate. And and that's really smart in a lot of ways as far as like resale value yeah, and the value perception of where a house is located. But for me, I was looking at it going, well, how functional is this house for me? And that house was so weird. There were stairs every, it was like a split level, but even more than that, there you walked in and there was like a stair down into the living room. And then you, you walked up one stair and then down another like stair. The 90s design gone yeah, bad. Down like, another stair to get into the kitchen, but then up another stair to get out of it and down a set of stairs to go down to the family room and then down up a set of steep stairs to go up to the upstairs. It was so strange which whatever but then when we started having kids i was like this is terrible for like a little baby that we're trying to not have them like tumble up or downstairs and or go up and then tumble downstairs and anyway it just is interesting to think back on that and i remember that was such a big deal to you where i think i struggle with perception and money i've thought a lot about this with our employees and with the way that we run our business. And I'm always so worried about the perception of being a good leader and people feeling like I'm in the trenches with them. I'm servant leadership. Like I'm willing to do everything with them. And, and I, I, not that that necessarily directly correlates to money, but it's that pursuit of wanting to be good, like wanting other people to think that I am good and I am doing what's right. And I learned that when I took the Enneagram test most recently and saw that my number, I think it was one, is that's like your greatest fear is being perceived as bad. And I kind of was like, gosh, is that really true? Is that like my greatest fear is being perceived as being bad? But when I think about some of my hangups with like hiring people and then stepping back and allowing them to do the work and not feeling guilty about it and not feeling like, and I don't really care if other people think like, oh, wow, like, She's hired all these people to help her out. It's more like the people who work for me thinking that I'm like lazy and not willing to work hard and help them. And I guess where that relates to money is feeling like even if I'm providing like meaningful work to someone and I'm paying them, still worrying about like asking them to do stuff and not doing it right alongside with them. So it feels like this fear of the perception of not being right and good in the world when it comes to the way that I'm earning money or having other people help me earn money. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Those are my hangups that I think really, really I have to like battle with all the time where I think the how cool do we look based on like our car or whatever. (laughs) I just don't care. I feel like sometimes when we talk about this, Neil, you bring up that you feel like you have weird things and some of it is funny where you're like yeah growing up these were some of the mentalities that I struggled with or whatever and I think that's very relatable I think all of us build our perception of money in our youth like whatever you think about money most likely was built from 
your parents or your community or some part of your upbringing. I feel like a lot of the positive things I have about money, especially you said a minute ago, first things first, and that made me think of tithing and that that's a concept that a lot of people believe in, lots of different religions believe in giving a tithe and how that has blessed our life so much and blessed generations of my family of just before you even pay anything else, first you give a certain amount of money to God. And it's interesting how much negativity I've seen people give that. But honestly, like if nothing else for me, I'm like, I can definitely show God my trust in him. To me, it's like I show God my trust in him that I'm like, here you go. Here's what you asked of me. Here's 10%. And then in return, it's this same take no thought concept where Jesus is like, if you take care of first things first, you do what I asked you to do. I will take care of you. And we have seen that over and over and over and over again. Like so many times in our lives, I can't even begin to tell you how many times we've been like, oh crap, like we need this much or we need to be able to whatever. And then the exact amount shows up in the most random way where we're like, you never could have planned for that or you never could have seen that coming. And we're not the only ones. I've had so many friends who have told me stories like that where They've put their trust in God, even when it doesn't feel like it perfectly makes sense. And then he just makes it make sense. And it's miraculous to see that. So I think that a lot of the positive things with money can come from the mentality and the things that were ingrained in you at an early age that you just, for me, I think for both of us, that's something that we've always clung to is you pay your tithing, God takes care of you. I remember one time we were doing like a missionary lesson where we had a girl who was interested in our church in our home with a couple of missionaries and they were like, okay, today we're going to talk about tithing. And I look at her and she was this just cute Asian, she was Chinese um, and an accountant. So the reason why those two things are really important is number one, most people who are learning about religion from China and she was from China. A lot of all these religious concepts are brand new because they didn't grow up with organized religion. So, or especially a Christian background religion. And then also, if she's an accountant, she's extremely aware of how she's spending her money and what money's coming in and out. And where we live is an expensive area. And so we sit down with her and we start talking about this. And I literally just start sweating, like stress sweating. Like this is the moment when she finds out that if she joins our church, she gives up 10% of her income for the rest of her adult life. And for whatever reason, that fear just like crept in. And I thought she's going to reject this. She's not going to like this. And I was so surprised when she listened to the whole thing. And at the end of the lesson, I said, well, how do you feel about this? And she said, well, that makes sense that God wouldn't want me to keep everything for myself. And then it would make me a better person to give a little bit of it away every month. So I think I'm okay with that. And I just remember being like, wait, what? She's fine with this? This doesn't even ruffle her feathers? That is, in my opinion, the power of like the spirit teaching, being the teacher and not the people, not these like 19-year-old missionaries. But also just the power of truth, that truth speaks to people in different ways, but truth is truth. And that 
the fact is, if you give, you're just going to be a better person. Yeah, no, I totally would have to agree. And I think I, that's a principle. I mean, I love looking at principles, like principles in my mind are just truths, like eternal universal truths. Like there's the law of gravity. There's a truth of gravity. There's a truth. There's all kinds that you could really cite or things that are just kind of universal for everybody. And spiritual ones are what I would think of as eternal in nature or these concepts. So I think tithing is one of those truths of, and I love the spiritual component connecting it to money because that is a principle of truth that I've seen in my life. Like my parents always paid that. I mean, 10th, it comes from the Bible. It's, we've had this for thousands of years. The, mm-hmm. the word literally means 10th. So one-tenth of your increase. And so back in biblical times, you're talking like one-tenth of your flocks or your yeah. your harvest. You give your wheat or whatever you're farming to a tenth of it to God, essentially. And And I think that's kind of the point is like, look, it's not so much about the thing, like God needs more wheat, you know? I mean, I think that that is, is for sure taken and, and distributed in a way to help other people. So there's a, that's definitely the, the component of it. But I love in our, in a recent conference, our, our prophet of our church, President Nelson talked about this. He's like, he talked about earning in his medical residency, like $15 a month as a stipend that he had. And his wife asked him like, Hey, are you paying tithing on that? And, and he's like, no, I haven't been. So he changed that and he, he paid and he's like, did, did God need my dollar and 50? Like, did that make that big of a difference for the church? Not really. But he said, but for me, it made a world of difference because I was living by a spiritual principle that God had commanded his people or commanded us to, to live by. And that the, the blessings that he saw, the opportunities that came into his life professionally, he cited a few, and, and I'm sure in various ways, that was the, the gift or the, the upside, if you will, of, of paying tithing, which is way bigger than some of the investment strategies of, I put in a dollar and I got back five, or I got back 10. Like That's great, but spiritually speaking, there's things that are so much bigger than that. But that's just it, is the investment isn't necessarily just in dollars, but it's in character building. It's in your eternal progression. It's in what kind of a person are you becoming? And that's what I look at when I look at what is your investment. And actually, okay, this is kind of a wild idea, but I'm just going to lean into it because that was my commitment at the beginning of this year after we went to the podcast evolutions conference. And I heard someone talk about that where she was like, I sleep well at night because I just am exactly who I am. So I heard this on The Chosen. There was a scene where someone was walking. I think someone was walking with Jesus and somehow it came up. Somebody was asking about John the Baptist and I think it was Jesus, but someone said, yeah, he doesn't believe in money. And I sat with that for a while and thought like, wow, what an interesting concept. Like you don't believe in money. He didn't say he doesn't need money. He said, I don't believe in money. And I have thought about that so many times, how I think we're going to get to the next life and look back at money as if it's monopoly money, because that's basically what it is after you die. It's worthless. It means nothing. You don't get to take it with you. You, It doesn't buy you a bigger mansion in heaven. It doesn't get you anywhere. And 
in fact, I think the way that we perceive money, we use money, we give money, we handle it, we let it dictate our happiness or our energy, our relationships. I think for a lot of people, it will bring a lot of regret after this life where you might look back and think, I wish I would have seen how unimportant that was in so many ways. And at the same time too, where I think that it can be used for so much good. brought up a really interesting point a minute ago before we started recording about what we learned at MW3 conference, which was a really inspiring conference that happened in Provo a few months ago, where I think it was Gail Miller who has been just an incredible, inspiring philanthropist in Utah, where she talked about at what point do you start giving? At At what point do you take on a giving mentality? Well, I mean, the point that she made was if you're not doing it now, because you feel like you don't have the money to give or you're you're waiting for this time when you have so much more money, you're not going to do it when you actually do have the money or are in a position to because it's it's a a mentality, a you're living by that principle, that mindset, whatever you want to call it, of being generous with others or living in an like some will call it an abundance mindset of mm-hmm. like hey, there's enough to go around like I have I can, I can give. And as far as maybe at the current moment, it's not, the amount isn't really important. It's the concept of like, what's the widow's might? It's like, Hey, all these guys are casting in tons and tons of money. These rich men, they're, they're watching this. And somebody asked Christ like, okay, this widow walks up and throws in this little mite, Like, and he says, she is given the most of all because she gave of her of what she had more so, not of of her want, not of I'm just going to throw a, a penny or so into this this well here. So that concept of of giving as a principle, as a lifestyle, like as a just a way of living your life, I've thought a lot about that. And I think that going back to the I don't believe in money and. My friend Lindsay Hadley said something so interesting to me recently where she was like, I kind of feel like money is energy. And I was like, that's a really cool way to think of it. And she was like, as I give abundantly and I give this energy to others, I feel like it just boomerangs right back to me. And I think that's true too. When you have that abundance mindset of like, there's plenty for everyone, I'm going to give generously where I see a need and wherever I can. And then it just comes back to you. I think there's so much power in that. And I also think that where you were talking earlier about how you've seen so many people in recovery really change their tune and change their mind about how they feel about money, how they interact with others, the way they think about how they're earning money or what they're spending their life doing earning money. I think you can really change the way that you perceive money by who you're hanging around with too. Like who's influencing you to think a certain way about money. If you're hanging out with people who think very abundantly, it's going to rub off on you. If you hang out with people who are always looking for a way to give back or to be generous, you're going to want to do that too instinctively. If you're hanging out with people who 
are very scarcity minded and they're always in a victimhood and they're always talking about how they don't have enough, that's most likely going to rub off on you too. So I think that's something to consider if it's something that you want to change in your life or even just be kind of mindful of is what kind of attitudes do the people that you surround yourself with have about money? Because it's a community mindset. It's your a product of whoever you're hanging out with, like the five people that you spend the most time around. So I find that the more we hang out with people, we've we've spent some time with just really, really incredible people who dedicate a large portion of their life to figuring out how they can better other people's lives. And it rubs off on you when it's not just about me, me, me gains. How can I make more? How can I build more for me? But how can we do things that make the world better? How can we have a more positive impact? That stuff rubs off on you and it has a lasting effect when you start propelling your life in that direction of where does God want me to use my talents and how can he use me as big as possible? It just opens up an entire new way of thinking about money and about giving and your potential to do good in the world. It just makes me think of like all the scriptures in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon, which we read from, that talk about mansions in heaven. Like, don't lay your your treasures up where moth can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal, but layeth up your treasures in heaven. Basically, do things of a spiritual nature that will have an eternal, make an eternal difference in other people's lives. And by so doing, he's using that monetary kind of visual so that you can kind of put so it makes sense to the the common man of mansions like everyone knows what a mansion is like oh yeah every cool this big huge mansion earthly thing but mansions in heaven is like is there an actual mansion no but but just the concept of it of that thought of great things that are of an eternal nature and i think by doing these things that positively impact the largest number of the greatest number of people possible and really putting out your efforts to support others in this way or do big things in a impact and helping other people type of a way mansions in heaven like those are eternal like those never go away like seeing people that on the other side that you were able to help or also the people that helped you as well like that interaction and that energy creating that like that's the mansion in my mind and on that same note i also want to note that i feel like i was just talking to a close friend about this a few days ago where they were talking about what they think is going to happen to them in the next life and they have some regrets and they have some hard things that they're working through and addiction and whatever you know i have so such a deep love and compassion for this person who's working through things and trying to better themselves and they were talking about a pretty deep focus on well what am I going to get in the next life like what is this going to equate to and I just was like I yes that's important to me and I think about it sometimes but I think about eternal perspective meaning like what matters after this life more in a sense of whenever I feel tempted to be upset about something or get really hung up on something, I try to zoom out and look at the eternal perspective in that regard 
But as far as what I do on a day-to-day basis, I don't do it to build equity in like the next life. It's not because I'm like, well, I'm doing these things that I don't like to do, but hopefully someday it'll pay off and God will give me a like nice reward. It's because the things that I do to try to be close with him make me happy now. And not only that, but make me, I really believe, more productive, smarter. Because when you work with the spirit, from what I believe, the spirit makes you smarter and the spirit makes you more efficient. And I was talking to my sister just a couple of days ago about this, about how we both love Alex Hermosi. And I say that with caution because his first, his second book actually so far has been like fairly clean cut, but his first book has a lot of choice words. So I, I say that with some caution, but he is a marketing genius. And I just think what he's done where he's just abundantly given so much free information to people out there so that others can succeed, so that others can build things that provide wealth for anyone who's willing to put in the work is inspiring to me. But also, as we were talking about how much we love his concepts and how they're so true, we were talking about how we both had an identical experience reading his first book where it was like, wow, I did that and I didn't even realize it was a smart marketing move. Or I did that and it was purely by the spirit. It was because the spirit kind of prompted me like, oh, you should try this angle or you should do this thing. And it has enabled us to be successful. And I I honestly believe like when people ask me like, what's your secret to success or how did you build such a successful blog or business or whatever? I have to think about the audience that I'm answering that to because my genuine honest answer is always like, well, if I'm being really clear about it, it's that I wake up and read the Book of Mormon. I mean, this is what I believe. I wake up and read the Book of Mormon. I plug into the Spirit and the Spirit guides me. And that is why we've made so many good slash successful business moves is because I feel like partnering with God makes me a lot smarter than I am on my own. And so that's amounted to quote unquote success, whatever you want to call that. So I think that going back to the principle of like, are we building mansions in heaven? Like, yes, doing good things here, I think will make a difference in what the next life looks like. But I also do it because it just makes me happy and it feels good to share with others. And I think as you abundantly give, your everything good grows around you. And as you get kind of like the more like, well, me mentality or what if I run out or what if I don't have enough? Not only does that not allow you to grow, but it kind of makes you miserable. I mean, you can go back to a Christmas carol to see that, you know, Scrooge is just so freaking miserable. He has all this money and he's so worried about running out or not having enough that he just becomes lonely and sad and miserable to the point where he almost dies in that just misery of never feeling like he has enough and always feeling like other people are out to get him. And somebody's always out to cheat him out of his money. And I think that can have a big impact too on your abundance versus scarcity mindset and how much joy you have and fulfillment in this life is if you always kind of have this negative outlook of like somebody's out to get you, like someone's out to cheat you. That energy has never served me. It just never has. 
even if there are people that are malicious, it just feels a lot better to be like, well, that's on them. That actually is a very like codependent versus code free mindset of people's choices are on them and you can only control your mindset and how you act and how what you present to the world. No, I would totally agree. I think there's so much information out there on this topic, just gobs and gobs and just everyone has something on this topic. And a lot of it's really good. What I really love and I think that we live by and that we agree on is I don't have a formula for success in the ways that it's often described, the millions of ways that you've got podcasts and programs and experts talk about it. But what I, the only time that I've seen success really is by doing just exactly what you said, where it's like trying to tap in spiritually and putting God first and trying to establish a connection with him and then following whatever that inner voice or what I would call it the spirit tells you to do in all things, not mm-hmm. just, I mean, obviously in, in spiritual matters or in relationships, but also professionally. Like I think of so many instances where things worked out because I felt like I need to do this or I need to do that. (laughs) And a lot of times it it makes no sense. I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. This is the opposite of what everyone would say to do, but I'm going to do it. And then it leads to something amazing. And it's never what I'm finding is like, it's never some genius that I came up with. No. Well, let's talk about our house. Like when we bought this house, we didn't really need this house. Like we lived in we both kind of had some heartache when we sold and moved away from our last house. We like redid the kitchen to the point where I loved it. It was perfect. We kind of had gone through and remodeled or redecorated or redone every room in our house and even our backyard. You built me a pergola out there. I just, I loved everything about it. And it fit our family of two kids and two adults perfectly. And it would have even fit three just fine too. But at the time we got this really strong prompting to look for another house So we found this house that we're in now and we both really felt like it was the right thing to do to buy it, but it didn't make a lot of sense logically for our family at that point. It was kind of like, okay, we really don't need a bigger house, but we feel like we're supposed to right now. So whatever. So we did it. You've talked about how you were just like stressed the first couple of years of living in this house. Like, why did we do this? It was so much more comfortable living in like a smaller home. And I'm not saying everyone should like go beyond their means or go always go for bigger or better, but the spirit like really directed us to buy this house. And we never could have seen what was going to come in the coming years where we would be able to refi when the rates were crazy low and then our house would increase in value the way that homes have in the last several years. If we had waited until we absolutely had to move because we have five kids and we don't fit in that house anymore, it would have been a completely different scenario. So I feel like there have been so many instances like that where we've felt the spirit and been prompted to do something. And money-wise, it's been like, well, that's not the most conservative move, or that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense logically, but we feel it, so we do it. And then it turns out better than we ever could have possibly thought. Nobody could have predicted what would happen in the five years that we've lived in this house. And I remember feeling that too. I'm like, okay, 
I'm thinking of all these different experts and like, okay, here's what you need to have when, when buying a house and thinking about this and how to be conservative. And I think by nature, I'm more conservative minded, like with, when it comes to money, everything that we were doing, I'm just like, this is such a bad idea. Like, <laughs> like in my mind, like mentally, intellectually, I'm like, this is, this is such a bad move. Anybody who's any type of a financial guru would be like, you you guys are super foolish for doing this. And I remember feeling that initially. Because it was so easy. Year. Yeah, it was so easy and comfortable in our last house. It's it like was like we, had, we always like had in, an abundance of In my extra mind, money. I'm like, this is great. It's so manageable. It's so like we can totally afford this so easily. Like easily every... It was comfortable. I'm like, yeah. let's just pay this thing out and... I'm I'm gonna die here, type of a thing, or or we'll do something with it eventually. I don't know. So I had no intent of this, but I remember sitting in in the garage after we did done some work on the closet and moved some things around and cleaned out the garage. I'm like, oh great, we have space now. And I remember getting this. I you know I would call it an imprompt, a prompting or an impression from the spirits, like you need to look for a different house, a bigger house. And I was like, I love this house. There's no reason it fits us perfectly. We're, we're at capacity and I kind of knew that when we got it, I was like, okay, if we could, if we grow anymore, but I don't think we'll have a, a big, that big of a family, but I remember getting that impression. And then I remember you getting the same impression. Mm, really like, strongly. Really strongly. You're like, Hey, I feel like this is kind of what I'm being told. So yeah, we did it. And I remember just the first year of that or a couple of years just being like, oh, like there was a little bit of buyer's remorse from me. I'm like, why did we do this? Like, this is so hard. Where it was so comfortable and easy in like, the last situation. And this was we could, This would have been so much better. But yeah. then circumstances shifted. COVID happened. Like rates, all this stuff. And now it's like that has become our biggest strength. Just and And I think looking back, someone could look at it and be like, whoa, you guys just you, you know, lucky. you're so smarter. Mm -hmm. You got so lucky. And it's like, dude, I didn't know what I was, we were just trying to follow an impression and that was it. Yeah. Again, I, I don't think that that's like a, hey, go. I I think from the, the addict standpoint, it could be like, I'm going to abuse that and be like, I could can no. kind of manipulate myself into being justifying purchases that I shouldn't make. But I think when it's done by the spirit. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. The point and, is let God lead you. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's like, hey, you got to sell your house and move into or something don't smaller do or don't like. Don't take that opportunity. Don't like. Sometimes things look monetarily like they make so much sense. Like the charter school where we were like, this makes so much sense. We should do this. And then it just felt wrong. So even though it logically made sense, it didn't feel right. So we just didn't do it. Yeah. One last thing that I want to talk about is training your mind to think about possibility instead of scarcity. So looking at situations and being like, huh, like how could I make this better? Or what could I do? And not feeling stuck or trapped, but really like getting out of that victim mentality and thinking like, how could I be creative about this? Like I just went to this amazing coaching conference with Brendan Burchard and he was, I met all these people that do coaching for a living or they do coaching as a big part of what they do in their business. And there are coaches for everything. Like if you want to be a coach for other women who want to become 
a C-level executive and maybe you feel like, well, I don't have like some big social media following or whatever. You don't need that. If you're like, that would actually be a great way to make some extra money on the side. And it'd be super fulfilling to coach some women who are trying to get where I am in the corporate ladder. Or maybe you have a certain skill that other people are trying to acquire. I mean, every good athlete has an amazing coach. Every good Every mom that I've talked to in this neighborhood, because I have a daughter who's interested in cheerleading, and I'm like, so what do you need to do? They're like, honestly, the only important thing is to do like the individual coaching, to do the privates. Like, go get a coach that will do private sessions with your daughter and teach her all the skills she needs to know. Like, yeah, you can take her to these little cheerleading classes and whatever every week if you want, but where they're going to learn it is in the one on one. So, the reason I bring that up is. There are so many people who have so many skills that like you could take almost anything that you're good at if you're one step ahead of other people and teach them and monetize that. And there's just so many possibilities and so many ways that you can give other people what you've learned with your gifts and talents and then also have extra money to bless your family. And I just think that like thinking in that mentality, that kind of little bit entrepreneurial spirit of there's always possibility there's always money to be made, like that abundance mindset of I can do this versus I'm stuck or I'm a victim is so empowering. And so I think, too, thinking in that way can be really, really, it can change your whole life. It can change your circumstances to just think possibility instead of think scarcity and to think I can and I believe in myself and here's what I can offer to people versus like, oh, I'm just such a loser or whatever. So that's something I would encourage you to do too if if that's something that you're trying to improve on in your life is to be willing to put in the work and believe in yourself and to always be looking for possibilities and working toward possibilities. And the last thing I want to say actually is that for me, we talked a little bit about you, Neil, like struggling with the concept of people thinking you're cool by how much money you have for me, I struggle a lot with do people perceive me as good and are people judging me or do am I doing something that if I want to do it, sometimes what holds me back is, but what will people think? So I have to break free from that. And here's a funny, silly example was two dishwashers. When we bought our second dishwasher, there was a part of me that was like, what if people think that we're like so over the top? If you know, if they ever see that we have two dishwashers in our in our kitchen. And now I'm just like, how silly is that? Like we have so many people in our family, A, but B, that has given our family a way better quality of life. Like how many Sundays would we spend just doing dishes for hours after the kids went to bed? And then we'd be exhausted. Now we can do a big Sunday dinner. And as long as we make sure that the dishes are cleaned out of the dishwashers before we load them all up and we have maybe... 10 minutes of hand washing dishes and then we can enjoy time as a family like that has given our family so much time back and how many families own two big screen tvs like a lot but because it's not as much of a social norm to own two dishwashers i was so like caught up in what will people think and so the more i work on it doesn't matter what other people think and we're going to spend our money or give our money or save our money or use it however we feel good about it, the more it's freeing for me to just be exactly who I am and not worry so much about what are other people's perceptions of me. So I hope this gives you some good little 
thought nuggets or ways to think about money, but most importantly, just abundance mindset. Know that there's enough for everyone. There's enough for you. And the more energy and goodness that you give out in the world, the more will just boomerang right back to you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.